If you have a Bible, let's turn our Bibles to the middle of the Bible in the book of Psalms. And we're going to read and discuss and think about Psalm 13 today. Psalm 13, it's short, it's six verses, but it's extremely useful and helpful for us as a guide for how we can pray and worship especially in times of sorrow. Do you know what you should do when sorrows overwhelm you like a flood? Do you have a, a go-to plan, a pattern of behavior, a, an automated response that your body, your mind, your soul just turns to in the midst of deep sorrow? I was able to spend some time yesterday reflecting, as I'm sure some of you were as well, about the events of September 11th, 2001, on this 20th anniversary. And in some of the different testimonials that I heard, one of the things I was struck by was the way that some people in these moments of tragedy and sorrow had automated responses of things that they would do based on the way that they trained themselves in those moments prior to the crisis. Crisis is coming one way or the other. You might be in the middle of one and you're floundering, drowning in sorrows. And you might be wondering, how do I not get completely capsized by sorrow? And some of us are in a season where sorrows are not acute. And my question to all of us would be whether you're in the midst of troubles and sorrows or you will be soon enough. Do you know what God's word has said for how we can make it through them? A prescribed pattern to respond to sorrow. I believe Psalm 13 gives us just that. Let's read it together. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful, bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truth on our hearts. Amen. I do really want to pray that God's word, Psalm 13, would be a helpful guide. That if you've got nothing else, no pattern, no automated response, no memorized scripture, my hope and takeaway will be Psalm 13 will be for many of you your go-to psalm. 
and if not the very words memorized deep down in your heart, the pattern of the movement of this psalm would be even better for each of us to reflect upon, to memorize, and more importantly, to implement in days of trouble and in days before the troubles come, so that way when they do come, you're ready. It's in there. It's just natural. Like a firefighter knowing, I got to go into that fire. That's just what you do. So what do you do? The biblical prescription for sorrow, according to Psalm 13, is lament, petition, and praise. The big idea of today's message is that your prescription, this is God on high, the doctor of the Holy Spirit, wanting to give you medicine for sorrow, a prescription for life. It begins with lament, it moves to petition, and it ends in praise. It's pretty obvious to see when you walk through the psalm, so we're going to do that, and we'll take each of those two verses at a time. Verses 1 and 2 are lament, verses 3 and 4 are petition, and verses 5 and 6 are praise. First, we should pray prayers of lament because they will help us process our pain. Pray prayers of lament. Learn to lament like the psalmist. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's naming it, isn't he? He's not stuffing his feelings. Sorrows are abounding every day. The phrase there, every day, could be even translated forever. You ever have those feelings in life? Those moments? This is never going to end. Is God ever going to do something? It's just that this is the way things are. You've just given up. That kind of sorrow is what he is describing in verses 1 and 2. And he names specifically what those sorrows are. It's not just, well, I'm sad. That's a start. But lamenting includes the specific things that one is sad about, what one is tormented about. Notice verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Complaint number one, God. A question about God's goodness. A question about where are you, God? If I could sum up verse one, I'd say it like this. God is gone. His face is hidden. The smile on his face seems like a frown. And so when you look at your life, many of you say these sort of things. I've been praying but I am hearing nothing in response. I've been asking, but all I get is silence. This is the sort of thing that is being communicated in verse one. Have you just forgotten me forever? Have you hidden your face from me altogether? How long will this go on? 
Secondly, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? God is gone and my soul is sorrowful. He goes from God to now internally, he's naming and being specific about how I am a mess right now. Do you know how many times I hear Christians say something like, man, I was really encouraged by hearing somebody share their testimony or their struggles because I thought I was the only one. That's silly, isn't it? Why do you think Psalm 13 is in the Bible? Because we're a mess a lot of times. My soul is sorrowful. I take counsel in my soul and I have sorrow in my heart all day. The poetic phrase here for taking counsel is like, you've got something stuck in your mind and you can't let it go. I know you all have experienced this. I know many of you have heard and been around other Christians, other people. This is a normal human predicament. You're obsessed with something. And the word heart in the Hebrew is not just like my feelings. It's about one's thoughts, their minds, their inner being. So he's saying that I am running around every day in my mind and I can't let this thought go. And he's naming it. How long will you forget me, God? And how long will I deal with the turmoil that's within me? Third thing he names. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God is gone. My soul is filled with sorrow. And my enemies are boasting, exalting, making fun of, despising, and declaring that I am worthless. When sorrows come in your life, is it habitual for you to name them, express them, write them, poetically journal them, pray with others about them? If not, step one. To deal with sorrow is to learn the habit of expressing your frustrations, naming them as they exist, not beating around the bush, not stuffing and shoving your feelings down and acting like they don't exist, but to share them with God. Isn't that interesting? We, we some, some of us, we know what it's like to share and vent. You ever been around someone that vents too often? Verbal vomit, have you ever heard that phrase? Just felt like somebody vomited all over me, all their problems. We know what venting can feel like. The Bible doesn't say stuff your feelings and just move on. Be strong. Don't show weakness. The Bible says vent, express, share those feelings to God. How long, O oh Lord? This is a question. This is a rhetorical question. It's, where are you, God? Why are my enemies winning? Why am I such a mess right now? I don't understand. Mark Vrogrop's book on lament says, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. 
I had moments yesterday when I was watching one of these documentary pieces on 9-11 and I just felt ready to burst into a weepathon. It was it was just so heavy. Everybody cries. Tragedies abound. Sadness is everywhere. Every human will cry. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, my guess is that you've cried. But if you're a Christian, you've learned how to take those cries to God, to pray in your pain. Cries of lament are what launch true believers onto a path to praise. Our psalm begins with pain, but it concludes with praise and promise. So how can we make it through sorrow? How do we not give up, lose our faith, sin wildly? Begin by learning to lament. Don't go around your pain, but take God with you through it, through the brokenness, through the disappointments, name them, express them. And when you begin this pathway, you can have hope because it's a path that begins with pain, but it ends in hope. So as the psalmist cries out, how long? Isn't there something beautiful about just that phrase, how long? It already communicates confidence that God will eventually act. It's just a matter of when. Do you have that confidence, friends? Are you confident that it's a matter of timing? That your inability to see the bigger, broader, divine perspective is a big part of the reason why your troubles seem so overwhelming. How long? I know you're going to do something. It's just a matter of when. I would like it sooner, please. I don't know how much longer I can go. But I know you're going to do something. That's a great way to start. But that's not the finish. If we ended here, this would just sound like spiritual venting and vomiting, right? This would not actually be as helpful. But when we put all three together, we begin on a path with lament. We move to petition. We end with praise. Let's move to petition. We pray prayers of lament because they help us process our pain. But secondly, we pray prayers of petition because they are the way that God delivers us from our pain. We pray prayers of petition. If any of you are not used to using the word petition, it, it means asking for things, requesting. We ask God, we petition God, we plead with God because it is through our prayers that he delivers and saves. That's the consistent teaching through the Bible. In fact, in the book of James, James will go so far to say, some of the things that you do not have that you wish you did are because you didn't even ask. Pray. Notice the prayer in verse 3. It's really short. Consider and answer. That's it. That's the prayer. It's the one Little line, two verbs, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. 
illumine my eyes unless I sleep the sleep of death. God, look at me. It seems like you're not paying attention, so I'm asking, pay attention. I'm wasting away. I'm about to be ruined. I'm about to die. Do you get that in verse three? Lest I sleep the sleep of death and my enemies say that I have prevailed over him and my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, you may not think that in your own personal life you've got enemies that are going to gloat over your dead body. At least, let's hope not. But remember, this is a king writing And at many times his life was threatened and therefore his kingdom and his enemies of those who would want to take him out are very real in terms of what's going on in the bigger background context. But the point should be clear to all of us, whether you're the king of Israel or you're a mom at home with some kids or you're a student at a school. When sorrows rise, we process our pain with lament and we pray that God would listen save, sustain us, enlighten my eyes because they're about to close into darkness and I'm about to die. So save me. That's the specific prayer that's being prayed. God, pay attention here. It seems like you're not, so I'm asking that you would. Have you ever asked and then felt like, well, it didn't happen right away and I wanted it to happen right away, so I'm done asking? I think the Bible would tell you, keep asking. Don't stop. That was great that you trusted God to turn to him and ask for his deliverance. But the Bible teaches us to continue to ask. And when you're getting so frustrated, you're like, but I've asked a hundred times. Then begin with, God, I'm really frustrated. I've asked a hundred times. And so, because I've got nowhere else to turn, I'm asking again. Jesus in Luke chapter 18 tells a a very helpful story about the importance of persistence in prayer. Just as a way of illustration, I think the words of Jesus here are, are hard to be improved upon. Jesus told them a parable, and the effect of the parable was that he wanted to teach his disciples how they would pray and not not give up and lose heart. So here's the story he said. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God and he did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city that kept coming to the judge and said, give me justice against my adversaries. And for a while, the judge refused. But after a while, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't respect men yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so the Lord Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge has said. And will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Do you get the point of that story? The point is not to imagine God as this begrudging judge that finally gives in because he's so annoyed by the asking. He's saying, if that's how human judges that don't even care about people would act, you know this, right? I've got five young kids. I know how many times I just gave in because they kept nagging. Dad, 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 dad. All right. If that's how you act, how much more will a God who does care and will listen 
and uses our prayers to be the means by which he saves. So he's teaching us, keep asking. Your prayers don't need to be long. This psalm is six verses. Takes you really a short time to read the whole psalm. Takes you even shorter to read the part where he's asking for something. How many times do you not pray because you're like, I don't have enough time? What if you began a habit of praying even short, pithy, one-sentence line prayers? And not just randomly, like at specific times. You could do this entire pattern of, God, I'm confused at what you're doing, but I'm praying that you would save and rescue and deliver from fill in the blank. And I put my trust in you. Amen. That's the pattern of lament, petition, praise. Can you do that in 20 seconds? Could you do that to close each day? Could you do that on a regular, consistent rhythm where it's ingrained in your DNA, where it's becoming a who you are as a person? So that whether you're in times of sorrow or not, this is not going to just fall down and accidentally learn how to pray prayers of lament and petition and praise. Like that's, that's not what you default do when you're a sinner. You treat God like he's a genie in a bottle, like he's a butler that's going to come give you whatever you want. That's not what we see in this psalm. We see a a God who wants to have a relationship with us that encourages us to share what's on our heart. And he always gives you everything that you would need and everything that you would have asked for if you knew all that he knew. So trust him. Keep asking. Begin the path with lament to help you process your pain. Continue on that path by asking God to deliver from the pain. Name it. Remove this obstacle. Third and finally, pray prayers of praise to conclude your journey from pain to praise because these will be the prayers that strengthen you in the midst and as you're going through the pain. Verses five and six, once more. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. God, I'm really upset. I'm very confused. I don't understand. What are you doing? Where are you? So I'm begging you, please wake up, pay attention, do something. But I want you to know that I'm coming to you because I trust in your promises and because I know that you are good. One of my favorite examples of a short little prayer that encapsulates everything that we're talking about here in Psalm 13 is when a woman, after realizing she was about to lose another baby, said, God, I know you're good. It just doesn't feel like that right now. God, I know that you're good. I'm going to begin 
to acknowledge my pain and at the same time declare your goodness. So my question to all of you, whether you're a Christian here and you've been coming to our church for a long time and been in churches for all your life, or you're not really so sure if you believe in the Bible and God, the question for all of us when pain comes is, God good? Is God good? Do you know that he's good? Can you even say that? God, I know that you're good. I know that this is true. I just am not experiencing that. The way through the pain is to remind yourself, to preach to yourself, and to be told by friends, by church community, by the Bible, good Christian books, surrounding yourself with praise, with reminders of the goodness of God. This is one of the reasons why the Psalms are the best psychological pills for your mental and emotional health. I'm not saying memorize a scripture verse in your depression, poof, goes away. So I'm not talking about trite little Christian sayings. I'm talking about the antidote to our sorrow is a lifetime of learning how to follow Psalm 13, embodying all that it is and repeating ourselves the truth about the goodness of God, not because it poof takes things away, but it gives you a way to have strength through it, in the midst of it. God strengthens you through your pain and sorrows when you know he is faithful. I have trusted, the psalmist says. Notice, notice just, but. Yes, I've been complaining and venting a lot, God, but I want to do so in a spirit of humility, do so in a spirit of trust, independence upon you, because I know at the end of the day, you are a good God. I know your hesed love. Hesed is a word that has 10 words wrapped up in it in English. We don't have a good one-to-one. Love is true, but that's not sentimental love. It means loyal faithfulness, covenant-keeping, promise-keeping kind of character. God, I know that you keep your promises, so that's why I'm turning to you in the first place. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I know that you're a God who saves And even if it's not right now, I know that you will eventually. So therefore, I know I will. Notice the future tense in verse 6. I will, at the end of all things, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt so bountifully with me. He has given me more than I have asked. He has given me everything I needed. The word for dealt bountifully. Two words in English, one word in Hebrew. And the word means something that you would say when a child has matured or weaned or a fruit has ripened because God has given me full ripening mature love not holding back not giving me half-hearted I'll just give you a little bit of what you're asking more abundance greater than what I could have even asked or imagined this is the basis of faith this is the basis of trust and it is the path through the pain to know that God is good. So how can you today pray? Prayers of lament and petition and praise. How can you be confident that God is in fact these kind of qualities? Can you? Is this just 
wishful thinking? Are we all just confused and deceived out here, spending our beautiful Sunday morning and afternoon hearing ancient song lyrics from 3,000 years ago? This is what this is. You guys realize what we're doing? We're studying song lyrics from 3,000 years ago, the best hits of the nation of Israel. It's an odd thing. Like, just ponder for a moment. That's how we're spending our afternoon. Why? How do we know that this is not just wishful thinking, but ultimate reality? Well, the answer comes, I believe, in the story of the whole Bible. And the story of the whole Bible tells us that God sent his son into the world to save and deliver people from death. Do you see that in our psalm? Save me from death. I will In the future, I will see your salvation and I will sing and rejoice with all of my heart because you did more than what I asked. Are those themes ever fulfilled in any kind of tangible way in the Bible? And for those of you that are Christians should know, yes, God did hear the prayer to save from death and answered that prayer way more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. And he did it by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus lived in this world a perfect life that you and I should have lived. And he experienced sorrow upon sorrow. The shortest little verse I memorized, my first memory verse from John chapter 11, Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. You can memorize that one. You can know that the God of the universe, he comes into human form and he has sorrow. He weeps, he laments. He specifically laments psalms of lament even when he's hanging on a cross, dying a death that he should not have died, suffering in our place. He lamented with deep sorrow in his soul while his enemies exalted over him. Read Psalm 13 and think about the fullness of God in the face of Christ and see if Jesus isn't the one who's praying lament and petition which leads to praise. Isn't that exactly what happened in the very moment of Jesus' death? My God, my God, why have you abandoned and forsaken me? He's lamenting. He's crying out, God, where are you? I feel completely abandoned and lost. And in our case, it only seems like he's abandoned and lost. But in Jesus' case, the Father was gone. God is gone. And my soul is sorrowful. He's dripping sweat that's filled with blood. And so he laments on the cross. He prays a prayer of petition on the cross. Father, forgive them. They're not even asking for it, but I'm asking for their sake. Forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He prays praise, which leads to praise. A prayer of lament by Jesus on the cross. A prayer of petition by Jesus on the cross led to praise. The first person to praise God because of Jesus' death was a Roman soldier that helped put Jesus to death. Talk about irony. Talk about God's justice and vindication and how he works in ways that you weren't expecting. But he delivers, and he delivers in overwhelmingly unbelievable ways. God did save and forgive 
of our sins because of the death of Christ on the cross. And it did lead to praise even from the most unlikely of people. As a Roman soldier who helped put Jesus to death, went from an enemy gloating and exulting to a fellow believer, trusting, singing, praising God on high. We humans don't really know what we need, but we can ask God what we want. And praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, he gives us all that we need and so much more. I'd encourage you to read Romans 8. We're going to close out our service in Romans 8, but just read through Romans 8 and see if it doesn't beautifully explain so much of what we're talking about. But one specific verse is on my mind. If God did not spare us his son, how will he not also deal bountifully with you and give you all things? Do you believe that? Is that something that might lead you to sing? Like in just a couple seconds, like we could stand and sing. It's worth singing about. If he gave you his son, how will he not also graciously give you oh that and so, so much more? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come now in the name of your Son, Jesus, and we pray for the Holy Spirit to awaken us to the truth of your word and to open our eyes to the deadness of our sin and give us new life. And as we hear these baptismal testimonies in just a few minutes, I pray that everyone that's listening to them would either A, remember their own story, and the way that you saved and delivered when you, you came down and rescued them. And for those of us who are here, Father, that if they do not know the hope that can be found in having a, a relationship with you, where you're willing to listen to our complaints, that you change the world through our prayers, and you walk through our pain and struggles by reminding us of your character and your goodness. Lord, I pray that there would be people today that would come to faith in Jesus. Just as those who have previously and are getting baptized today. We thank you so much for your amazing grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.